Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Welcome, everyone, to the start of a big, big week on the World Service. You want all the best analysis of a full round of midweek Premier League matches? We've got you covered. You want to hear Sam Allardyce throw his hat in the ring for the Republic of Ireland manager's job at our live show in the National Stadium, only to slowly alienate the crowd over the course of the rest of the interview? We've got that too. An in-depth... Weird request by people. A very strange, very specific request that we have catered for. An in-depth preview of European Champions Cup rugby, including Leinster's revenge mission in La Rochelle. That's in there too. Uh, your ultimate guide. Hang on. Your ultimate guide to the best sports books to buy this Christmas with Sinead O'Carroll and Matthew Clerken. Have we added days in the week? They, they, they can't, can't all be in the same week. Well, it is. It says I'm it right afraid, here. I'm afraid so. <laughs> Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hey guys. Hey Owen. Hey oh, Murphy. Hey Ken. Hey guys. Hey Ken. Oh, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thanks Ken. I haven't even mentioned our other guests on an incredible night on Friday. Brian Kerr talking about his childhood Friday night spent in that very venue Mm -hmm. watching his fighters trained by his dad who was a renowned boxing man Emmett Brennan we had Emmett on a couple of years ago after he had qualified you might remember he was talking about uh, pre-Olympics post-Olympic qualification yeah exactly he was talking about how he had taken out a credit union loan and various different Mm. avenues he went to try to get enough time to go and qualify for the Olympics which he did then of course he did didn't it didn't go well from at the Olympics? Mm. He did a sort of tearful interview there, and then went away in everybody's mind. Um, did try to go professional in New York. It didn't work out there, but he has gone pro now, and he was absolutely lit up the Katie Taylor undercard, mm. and fair to say, lit up the National Stadium the other night as well. What a personality! Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, very um, likable in person. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, incredibly so. And, no veneer. Uh, yeah, and he was. Um, yeah, no bullshit. Very, very happy to tell us all that his was the only good fight on the kid, <laughs> which I also really enjoyed. Well, yeah, I think thanking the his, his compatriots afterwards for not being too excited, yeah. and thereby making his fight look <laughs> even better. So anyway, we're going to bring you those conversations. Likes of Emmett Brennan and Brian Kerr, we'll bring those conversations over the next couple of weeks. But this week, this Wednesday, we will play you our big interview with Big Sam, who didn't quite get the universal acclaim that Emmett Brennan got on the night. I think it's no. probably fair to say more of a mixed 
reaction. I mean, we, it started well. I feel like the audience gave Big Sam every chance. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like you know they were like, okay, square deal, square deal here. Out he comes. Warm applause. Let's Very hear. warm, more than warm. Yeah. They were lo- they were, they were uh, raucous. It was, it was oh, raucous. raucous to begin. With. Let's hear he what you've them. got to say. He had them, Sam. and what he had to say initially was pretty good. You know, he started. This is the former England manager, remember? Yeah. Who started his managerial career with Limerick in the League of Ireland, revealing he would be interested in talking if the FAI came calling. But we have got a guest, I believe, to match the occasion this evening. Please welcome. He's waited long enough. Sam Allardyce. <laughs> Nobody has uh, officially made any any uh, offer in terms of the situation of whatever shortlist they may have been brought up or got up. So obviously that's all done through my uh, uh, my agent, of course, which is the uh, way the way things go today. So uh, you know, uh, whatever they or whoever they choose is a big big decision for them, of course, because obviously um, they failed a bit recently in the last few the last few seasons to say the least and I don't know whether that's the manager or whether that's a combination the manager and and of course the team you know what, so, do, you think, what do you think was going wrong well I don't know how, how you get the you've got to get the you've got to get the best out of your players and getting your best out of your players is not all about only the I don't know if you've got the brainwashing over here about playing tippy tappy football <laughs> I mean, I, we've, we've tried a bit of that in the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I run a podcast called No Tippy Tappy Footballer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't, I can, I can, I love, I love the football that Manchester City play and uh, Liverpool or Arsenal because they're clever enough and good enough to do it. But unfortunately in England, I don't know about here, it's a disease because it's down in League Two. And I watch more goals being scored by the centre-halves giving the ball back to their centre-forward and scoring than I ever see any other thing. Like. So I think it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's about... I've always been pragmatic in terms of how good are the players and we will suit a, a system and a style for those players and play to the strengths and, and, of course, try and cover the weaknesses when all said and done. And if you're playing a team so much better than you, it will be about... Uh, what you can do with the limited possession you've got and how good you are at defending to try and get the opportunity to score a goal to win a game of football. So I play winning football. That's what I play. Good answer, but not the answer to the question I originally asked. No. Have you got any interest in the Ireland manager's well, job? Yes, I would always have an interest and always like to speak to them, of course. So uh, that, that would be... That would be, it'd be it'd be nice to uh, be interviewed and uh, see where where they're going, what they're thinking, and uh, of course it's just a, sh- a short journey over from today. Just a short journey over by plane. So yeah, and of course you've not to forget that I spent a full season at Limerick, like you mean. So you know that was that was an eye opener to say the least. Ring hat throne mm. eventually I mean the first answer was all about if, uh, agents take phone calls and etc or emails of course uh, their, his agent could Sam, have taken an email you know, here, could have here, received here. an email on one of their devices <laughs> here's the uh, ring could have come by phone here's a hat yep please throw 
Yeah. There you go. Patrick Feeney emails in. You're having a whale of a time on, aren't you? Lads, can we... You'll get matches of the day at this rate. Uh, if, if this uh, Ireland job uh, stays open for three or four months, you'll have an Icarus job by the end of this. <laughs> Lads, you're carrying on. Can we drop the facade, says Patrick Feeney. Playing out from the back is madness. Every match I'm watching, the majority of chances come from pressing. Defenders pricking around and getting turned over. Chelsea were an absolute joke against Newcastle last week. City versus Spurs yesterday was pure insanity. Razzy Erasmus has the right idea. Hmm? Segway. Get it as far up the pitch as possible and force the opposition into mistakes. Jose in that Europa League final. You know you're going to be pressed high up the pitch. At that point, the most logical thing to do is just launch it up to Fellini and take the. Why do we're bringing his name back? Oh, God. The hardest name I've ever had to pronounce. I won't be checked. That's why I can't get the match of the day gig, Murph. Yeah. Any Belgian footballers on him in a spot of bother. And take the opposition's... Yuri Tileman. <laughs> <laughs> the Tileman does it again. Biggest weapon away from them. Everything I thought I knew about football was wrong. Big Sam is the new high priest. Yeah, well, that Big Sam interview will be available in full on Wednesday. The new high priest of Irish football again? To be seen. I think a couple of you might have got excommunicated on Friday night. Not for honest. me, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Not but, for you know, listen quite a few and make your own mind up. Exactly. It, We've precisely. Said, said enough at this stage. Yep. That interview will be available for World Service members. The book show tomorrow. Premier League coverage through the week. European Cup preview later in the week as well. There's also, may I say, an excellent Kennedy political podcast to catch up on from last Friday. Vincent Bevins was in studio to talk about his book, If We Burn, The Mass Protest Decade and the missing revolution so quite a timely thing to be talking about at the moment uh, really great chat and I clocked in just under the full duration of a football match Ken oh yeah <laughs> yeah it was in, it in and around the 89 minute mark I believe oh. actually listen you've got the VAR wiggle room as well so it you're well like it, it flew by yeah no, to me yeah, to me. Was it me yeah also available now wherever you get your podcasts hope you're ready for the next episode hey the next and indeed final episode with Richie Sadler of the current series is coming out this Wednesday this is separate to the world service everything else I've said before is going to be available in the world service this one's available anywhere you get your podcast they're going out in style the dream team Richie and Killian it's been a brilliant series I'm not giving the name yet Murph tonight I don't even know what time exactly I know it's due to happen tonight and Richie has been flawless he has had Killian to help him to be fair in getting these things recorded (laughs) and by flawless you mean we have handed over all responsibility in that area to someone else (laughs) exactly a trained radio and audio production assistant indeed sir Uh, well he has been flawless I too have been flawless in 2023. Oh yeah, I've managed to not not record a a podcast interview in 2020. So let's start the European rugby build up now by talking about what happened at the weekend. Jerry Thorny's in the studio in a few minutes. You had Connacht stunned by Leinster right at the death. Yeah, horrible one. And it was a great game. It was really good. Eight thousand Connacht fans in the ground. They hate Leinster. They always play well against Leinster. Leinster always lose against Leinster. Well, yes, six in a row at home. I think Mm. it is. They used to beat them a bit more often, but Connacht have improved and are losing to Leinster more frequently. But I, I, you know, it could change again. It's a short enough uh, time span. Uh, but I think what made this one really good was Murph, the ebb and flow of psychic energy. Well, I should blink it well up, so Simon. Um, what's better than one ebb and flow of psychic energy? Two. Two. Many. More. There was many. <laughs> so Connacht dominated it early, right? And they go 8-0 up. They kind of get on top in the line out. Um, Leinster looking shaky some terrible handling Leinster's line out is a total mess then kind of get this unlucky yellow for Cahill Ford for a tackle where he seemed to absorb all the force and not do a whole lot wrong and I didn't see any head to head but he got a yellow anyway but they then survived numerous attacks 
when it looks like they're going to concede. They're under the cosh. And then when this scrum penalty, and it's against Leinster, and that's a huge moment for a team like Connacht. And they're all cheering, the crowd go nuts. And then there's a bit of a sort of, you know, the way front rows face up to each other and shove each other. And then Seamus Hurley Langton, who'd been playing really well, grabs Ryan Baird by the mm. scrum cap and just yanks his head downwards quite violently. But, you know, it wasn't a massive thing, but it was certainly enough if a ref sees it. It is a penalty, you know. It's just enough to be really annoying that you did it. And then the penalty is reversed. And from then on, Leinster score a try not long after. So it's 8-7 going into the break. So all Connacht's, not dominance, but they were definitely edging the contest. They only go in a point ahead. Then second half, Leinster come out much better, a bit more intensity, and then kind of go miles in front. Keller got the the try that put them, I think it was 11 points ahead, but crowd went really quiet, and it's Leinster, and it just feels like the game is over. Connacht hadn't really attacked at all in the second half. And then the likes of Mac Hansen and Caelan Blade, a few others, the back row started to play really well for Connacht, and they scored two beautiful tries, absolutely amazing tries. Yeah. They're ahead, a few minutes to go. And then again, it swings, and, and Leinster are doing all the attacking, and Connacht do a couple of sneaky scrums, get out of a couple where Tyke Furlan puts the knee down. Finally, they've done it, get the penalty out, kick to touch, last line out of the game, essentially last play of the game. They just need to throw it in straight, and it goes ever so slightly crooked. And then Leinster, for the first time in the game, decide to just put together uh. four or five flawless phases. Uh, ended beautifully by Frawley and they Frawless lose the game <laughs> yes yes thanks Murph you're just on a again, roll at the moment aren't you again Max the very Lineker was it the Neil Lennon that was, yeah, that that was, was extremely Lineker was, was it the Neil Lennon either Jimbo or Lineker the last, couple of, the last couple of weeks say it again was it the Neil Lennon exclusive a couple of weeks ago that's really has, it, was, has that been has that what is that what's lit the blue touch paper um, for your career yeah, in the last no, couple of weeks be it, Murph. That, that's what's happened because it's been no it's just all it's all taken oh, it's off. It's just huh? all gold at the moment. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show. Owen McDevitt, you're a cold piece of work. You're looking good. I know you're feeling good. Owen, you're amazing. I'm like, yeah. 2,000 podcast recordings today and the second captain show in Ireland. Owen McDevitt. Owen, I like you and I like your style. I hear you in your 40s and your bald headed. Let's just put it this way you are ahead of Hey, Jack Chapman, we're just about out of time. Been a pleasure talking to you. I can't believe it, dog. I know what 2000 is. And that's a heck of a feat. But anyway, man, I love your style. It's delicious. 
I'm Owen McDevitt. He's in non-event as far as I'm concerned. It's a big week ahead for the Irish provinces in Europe and it's been well set up by a thriller in Galway on Saturday night. <laughs> Albeit a thriller that ended in almost total silence after Leinster's late try. Jerry's here. Jerry, how are you? Good, thanks. I was there, yeah. Oh, the players looked... What was your, What was just the whole atmosphere around? The players looked nauseous. The fans seemed absolutely shocked. It was a horrible end for them. Yeah, it was. They really thought, in the manner they came back from looking goosed at, was it... 18-9 down and Leinster in total control in that third quarter and if Scott Penny grounds the ball in between their two tries they're out of sight and it's game over and then out of nowhere they conjure two brilliant tries yeah. um, with Hansen outstanding at full back um, really create, being very creative and Blade being a live wire and Call Ford. They're just a, such a good team in transition, off counter attack, off turnovers, um, and some of their attacking players a joy to watch. And they scored these two brilliant tries, and suddenly it looks they're going to win. And it's a, it's the biggest game in Connacht's season. It's the one that's sold out weeks in advance. It was sold out over two weeks ago, despite the extended capacity of eight thousand one hundred twenty-nine. I don't think next Friday night is yet a sellout. For example, against Bordeaux Begla with Matthew Jalabert and Damien Penault scoring four tries in his home debut a week ago by half time. Um, and all the stars they have Leinster is just the biggest game and it's the one they want to win more than any other game of the season and that goes for the squad and particularly goes for the supporters and they'd lost six in a row at home against Leinster which I was surprised by because Leinster often have difficulties there and it looked then for that they'd won and then particularly when Leinster had a crook throw and Dennis Buckley very very cutely dupes the referee into giving them a penalty against Tyg Furlan, which Tyg didn't look too happy about. And they basically got one line out to complete the deal. And Dylan Tierney Martin goes down. It just throws it straight, but he throws it straight down the Connacht line. So technically, it's probably the correct call to call it crooked, but many referees probably would have let it go and that would have been game over, Connacht win. Instead, Leinster go through these five phases of about 20-odd passes, every single one of them on the money, the best attack of the match. And the crowd are roaring Connacht on into this final last stand to complete the victory. Mm. And when Kieran Frawley goes over, there's the two pockets of blue at the college road end of the ground that there's a cheer and you go, there's a cheer. Mm. Oh, Leinster scored because like the it, it looked for sure that he'd score, but like that confirmed it because yeah. the press box view is almost level with the pitch side, and you're kind of you're looking through most of the bodies on the pitch, and you can see it, and I'm watching on the screen as well. So yeah, Leinster scored, and it's 81 minutes plus in the clock, and oh, Connacht have lost, Con- <laughs> Leinster won, and this eerie silence just completely fell over the ground. It was just uh, yeah, it was a very very painful defeat. I'd say. Given the nature of it, probably the most painful home defeat they've had in years in the context of what they were Yeah, playing. I was looking at Caelan Blade's face and I'll mention nauseous there. He looked almost physically nauseous. He'd played so well himself. The team had fought back from the dead, essentially, yeah. against a very good Leinster team, albeit off form on the night. And I just wondered about, it's a sort of defeat that might actually impact Connacht's season. Yeah, I put that to Peter Wilkins afterwards. Does this not make your week more difficult with a six-day turnaround before playing Bordeaux Begla? And he says, actually, no, it's going to make it easier because of such the, the hurt and the anger with already that they'll channel channel that, they'll use that. And they'll also focus on a lot of what they did very well in the game. Hmm. So he took a quite a positive turn on it in that respect. Which even coaches though, do. Which well, Dan McFarlane mightn't. <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get to him, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Not all coaches. Coaches, it, I often feel sorry for them because they speak within the immediate aftermath of a match. It's barely, it's barely 20 minutes out on TV. They might be even quicker. And they're, 
they can be their emotions are running high whether through elation or disappointment or whatever and I thought he processed it pretty well actually even though he admitted himself that he hate to say this it was a cliche and he's still processing the defeat himself he actually thinks it's going to make his work easier this week one thing's for sure they need to bounce back with the win now the other incredible thing about it was it if they'd won and they were in that one line-out execution of doing so, they'd have completed an unbeaten year in the Celtic League, Magnus League, Pro 12, Pro 14, URC for the first time in history. An mm. unbeaten calendar year at home. Wow. Yeah. Can we talk about Mac Hansen? I don't think he carried badly once. And that's, sorry, that's an understatement. He carried brilliantly almost every single time he got the ball. And I was watching him and trying to figure out, he's got the most subtle ability to beat somebody without you can almost can't perceive what it is he's done in very tight spaces, often in a, a pocket of the field where you feel like he shouldn't have even run up that space. And we talked to Andy Friend before at the live show and he talked about these snake hips. And But it's so subtle and I'm watching him going, how did you get out of that spot? He does his basics so brilliantly. I think he's the best catch-pass player in the country, one of the best in the world, actually. His basics are so ridiculously good. His focus, his calm... His, an eye, his eye for a gap. He's just a joy to watch. He's one of the best signings any province has ever made. I was thinking a lot of these same thoughts watching him and then when I quick slipped through the video yesterday, he when, when Tiernan O'Halloran went off after seven minutes and they've only got a 6-2 split, you think, oh, this, this could hurt them. And Hawkshaw comes in at centre. Brian Ralston reverts to the right wing and Hansen goes at full back. I think he was tried there twice last season and it wasn't a rip-roaring success, particularly on the high ball and, and defensively, I think. But within... The very next play, virtually off turnover ball, Hawkshaw, yeah, off a line-out steal from Niall Murray. Hawkshaw does brilliant footwork to get over the gain line, and then it's recycled, and it goes. And Hansen's hitting the line from a full-back position, and he does. You're right. He does that beautiful square-on pass that just checks the defenders. Now, Midley Lens are a little bit undermanned on that side, and frees the ball to Ralston. But then, of course, crucially, has a second touch. That's it's amazing how often tries are scored. Mm when an out-half or full-back gets a second touch. Mm. And then he passes, and then he offloads inside for Hawkshaw to finish. So it just clicked like that. So you thought to yourself, well, they must have run that formation in training, obviously. Mm. And it, cause it, it was just such a seamless transition within the first 10 minutes of the match. And you're right, he's as slippery as an eel, isn't he? How do you get through there? And it's Because he's not, not particularly strong. Not, you often look at Mac Hans and go, is he really a rugby player? He's not that big. I've met him in person. Mm. Well, he, we all saw him in his cacks. At the th- at the, you know, but no, he's not. He's not a big muscle-bound no, guy or anything no, like that. No, he's, he's not. He looks like a, more like a normal-ish human being. Yeah, and but he, it's the hips, I think. He's great ability to just swerve either way with his hips and it's, it, he can go either way it's not so much footwork it's more the swerve yeah. and so you've got that square on passing game you've got the playmaking skills you've got that elusivity you've got he's reasonably quick too mm. and he's got X factor you know, he's, he, he, he sees where space is um, so you almost think that fullback will now bring out if he was to move there permanently would bring out more in him than we see even on, on the wing even though of course particularly with Connacht and Ireland they played quite similarly the winner has a quite a roving commission, yep. so he's very heavily involved anyway. But then you think back, people in Australia, if they're watching him, how did they ever let mm. him slip the net? Mm. I mean, he started out as an out half, and I think a lot of them still thinks he could be an out half. Mm. Um, and he can play, he just can play any position basically in the I'd back line. To, I'd love to see him play out half. <laughs> yeah, be gas, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It'd be fun. But he's, it was a joy to watch him play. Um, and given that it was his first game of the season for Connor, it was quite extraordinary the mm. impact he has. He's 
adored by the Connacht fans, obviously. I mean, that first try almost in front of the clan stand last year. Do you remember the counter-attacking try from his yeah. own half? Hello, I'm here. Yeah. Um, and so they adore him. And he adores them. He adores living there. He adores playing for them. He's bought into them, much like Bundyaki is. Yeah, one of the great overseas signings. One of the absolute best, for it's sure. Just, the the mm. line-out Jerry mentioned at the end was a bit mm. controversial, but... There were other moments you kind of feel well, that, I, I, that the reason Con- I pointed out was somewhat self-inflicted. Yeah, they played great, um, but then at moments they played terribly. And the reason why I think it might impact them, in spite of what Wilkins was saying to you, is the self-inflicted element to it. The line out was only a smidge off, but it was slightly crooked. They probably could have lost that line out if it went straight. They could have lost it and still won the game. You know, just keep it straight and you mm. probably won the game. Um, but the other one was uh, Seamus Hurley Langton. Yeah. This is after. You're going to mention this one. Go on. Yeah. It was a pretty obvious yes. moment. Yeah, yeah. When he grabs Ryan Baird's headgear, yeah. yeah. And it, when it's just after a scrum, you've just beaten the Leinster scrum. You've yeah. gotten your penalty. What an amazing win! What an energy booster! A momentum lifter. The crowd got into it. Uh, you've lifted the siege again. And and when you lift the siege a few times against a team like Leinster, it starts to pay off. Yeah. They start to date themselves. You, yeah. you believe all the rest of it. And then within a moment, it's a yank. It's not particularly aggressive, but it's definitely enough to reverse the penalty. It's a correct decision. And then Leinster ultimately get a try off it. A nicely worked try, but it, le- it gets Leinster within a point at half time. And that was the other moment where you think, God... Yeah. team like Connacht just can't afford to do that. No, and Seamus Hurley-Langton had a fabulous game. Mm. He made 18 tackles, missed none, forced a turnover, showed really good hands at times. Like It was his, own, it was his one and only bad moment in the game. But it's um, a line-out for Connacht inside the Leinster half, 8-0 up, as opposed to 8-7. That's mm. a huge momentum shift in the game. And the other one, of course, is at 8-7 ahead at the last minute of the first half. They have a penalty two penalties and the, they both times go to the corner yes. and when you do that in the 40th minute I just I just don't like that as a rule because in a low scoring game the 40th minute if you don't nail that line out in the corner you give all the momentum to the opposition as they run off at the pitch at half time I know it's only another three points but 11-7 is still a little bit more of a significant it's more game. how you feel about yourself than exactly. the scoreboard yeah. exactly yeah. do you remember the game in Paris lockdown rearranged game in October thereabouts when Ireland were in the title picture against France mm. and they were losing by about four points in the last minute of the first half and true to his DNA Johnny went to the corner but no take the three trim mm. it to one feel a bit better about yourself because if you don't nail the line out then France bound off the pitch as they did with a four point lead think they just held out a line out in the corner I just think of the last minute of the first yeah. half it's too high risk it's too the 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 risk versus reward it's just better taking it's more yeah. it's more practical to just take your three and the other one the, i think chris busby is a good referee and he's he's ma- managed two fairly frenzied irish derbies in a row now pretty damn well in mm. fairness to him let's give the credit, credit to two fine games and he has a fair amount to do with that i think his deliveries to the players are crystal clear you might not agree with them. i think his only real wrong decision at the weekend was that yellow card for Cahill ford which wasn't really him, was it? it was no, I mean, GMO. Charlie Nat- Natai led with his shoulder into yeah. Ford's head. There was no head-to-head. And I'm just wondering why the hell Ollie Hodges... Like, and kept saying, well, clear head-to-head. I, it, I didn't see it in all the no head, Nobody head-to-head. saw head-to-head. There was no head-to-head. There was none, was there? There was a ridiculous call. And I didn't have, you could just argue that it didn't affect the result and that Connacht held out for that 10 minutes through mm. some brilliant defensive sets and some unusual in- inaccuracies by Leinster. Knock-ons and so forth, mm. crossing. They let them off the hook a bit. But how much did that take out in the 10 minutes, having to defend almost exclusively for it? But overall, yeah, I think you're right. I think that was the key moment. That was the one that, that Seamus Hurley-Langton will not enjoy looking back on. 
plus one or two the line outs to Dylan Tierney Martin obviously won't look yeah. back in the last line out very well either just on going to the corner though I'd love to if, if any if any college students are listening and want to do a thesis or something yeah. where you've got a lot of time to research something if you could research that maybe even just Johnny Sexton's calls and the risk reward ratio and actually try to work well, out there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of stats I, I feel like there's a lot of reward and if you take say Sexton's example mm. We often got it. Leinster and Ireland often got yeah. reward from Johnny Sexton ta- making those calls. But again, to have this conversation properly, you would need a lot of st- yeah. statistical data. To, it's to never going to be a perfect science, no. right, Jerry? Exactly. And some people go, always take your points. Or some people go, always play to your DNA and kick to the corner like Exeter used to do. Just always kick to the corner. Never question it. And then all your players know what they're doing every time. Mm. But I don't understand why you wouldn't judge it on the moment. Judge it on the players. Judge it on how well your line-out's going. Who's your hooker? Of course. How confident are your second rows? Uh, how confident is your but kicker but feeling? Maybe Connacht were feeling confident. They could. You know, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying... Yes. I'm, I'm just taking, in, in general, with this debate over kicking to the corner versus kicking your points. It, there's so many variables you take in in the moment. The energy, the crowd, where you are in the game, just before halftime, all those bits. You've, and you've got to trust your players. You can't be, yeah. I mean, flashing green and red lights from the stand all telling mm. them what to do in the pitch like they've got to be allowed to think for themselves they're experienced yep. players they're captains or what just let they've got a feel for it on the pitch and I asked Peter Wilkinson about this afterwards as well and he said yes they would have preordained strategies at a certain point in the game that you might take three you might go to corner whatever else and a lot of the time you would just let the players have a feel for it in that one he said it was the players call and he backed them completely mm. and of course if they'd scored seven points of they'd course, have gone yeah. in yeah. eight points clear at half time Amy said brilliant call Hindsight is never wrong. Is no. <laughs> but, uh, but can I just say one other yep. thing very quickly? I did a, I did do this a, a small one of, of this where I went to an entire Six Nations championship that Ireland played. Oh, yeah. And every time they went to the corner and what the reward was, the outcome was. And they were comfortably in credit on going to the corner. Mm. It was absolutely a strategy that worked. And if you think back to the quarterfinal against New Zealand. Jeez, do we have to bring this up? Yes, I've just brought It'll it up. It'll come up occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there was debate about Ireland going to the corner and should have taken three here and there. If Ronan Kelleher gets over the line that time, if he's not stopped by um, Jordan Barrett, wasn't it? Yep. That strategy would have got them 21 points in the second half and they'd have won and nobody would have been quitting. Yeah, right. And our previous mall was so dominant exactly. penalty try. Yeah. Exactly. Would have got them 21 points and would have got them into a World Cup semi-final and effectively a final. Yeah. And nobody would have been questioning the strategy yeah. I think you're right. You've got to take a longitudinal attitude to it too, probably, rather than, oh, in this game it paid <coughs> off, in this game it didn't pay off. If your overall strategy over a season, you're saying positive, Definitely. It's I remember doing the stats on it and Arnhem were well in credit. Yeah. And there's a lot of stats as well on where you kick from left, right, centre, how yeah. far out. There's very accurate percentages on the top kickers, the likes of Sexton and all those. But M- Munster have, we'll be talking more about the, the Champions Cup later on in the week. So we'll have a good chat about Leicester. JJ Hanlon and Harry yeah. Byrne, great performance and great goal kicking. Right. Really good mm. goal kicking from both of them. What about yeah. Munster? 40 points scored against previously top of the table Glasgow. It's not to be sniffed at. No, it's not. Um, it's funny. They'll come away a little bit angry and rightly so that they conceded effectively five tries from them all and it afforded Glasgow a bonus point that will also irritate them given the palpable energy between yeah. the two. But then again, they played some fabulous rugby and scored some wonderful tries. And I thought they played some really great rugby against Leinster as well. And yep. Leinster to keep them down to one try, that brilliant early try, mm. which actually a little bit of an achievement. And I think overall, you have to say, I was watching some of the scores and Thomas Hearn finishing the corner and thinking, you can imagine 
over a year ago, them training and practising this kind of high-tempo ball skills and it wasn't coming off. But roll on a year and what a fair, fair play to the investment they made in a completely new way of playing and the, the fruits that have borne for the, the, the trophy success and now the way they're playing despite a fairly extensive injury list. I thought it was a, a really impressive performance by Munster in many ways because that remember what Glasgow did to them last year in Thoman Park too. What about the try that reminded me of the one France scored in Twickenham years ago? Was it Saint-André finished it? Mm-hmm. Um, that Munster scored. It was the sort of try that made me think... Oh, the one straight from the kickoff. It was like a double whammy. They just they just scored, then received yeah. the kickoff and scored from their own half. Yeah, yes. and it was O'Brien, wasn't it? Chipped inside yeah. to Nankerville, yeah. 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 Um, it was of the sort of quality that made me think they could actually win the Champions Cup. I don't think they will, but that sort of try, Ahern's performance, a dog bowl, made me think, hang on, they have a lot more depth than I thought they did at the start of the season because of how fast the likes of Dogbo and Ahern have come through. And they score, they can hurt every team. And there's a big difference between a team that dogs out scores and has to work for every inch and work for every point. And then teams like Munster are this season where, where these guys could hurt us at any moment and you're just a little bit worried and your defence is always thinking. I don't think they win the Champions Cup, but that those tries and that performance and a couple of the big like a dog bone or hern in particular made me think they have a chance. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they have a better chance of winning the Champions Cup this season than last because their game mm. has evolved to that level. Mm. And you think of that try they scored from their own line of, or the, sorry, the drop goal they scored from their own line against Leinster in the semi-final last year. Mm. Oh, and that try you just highlighted there from their own half. They didn't have this in their locker under the previous regime. It just wasn't there. So therefore they've got, they've absolutely added other dimensions to their game with which they can hurt opposition teams. And of course, by dint of winning the URC, they've got a better draw this year. Like, they really should beat Bayonne at home. <clears throat> and then they go away to Exeter, which would be a very difficult game. And it'll be a real arm wrestle. But you would think that, yes, they're better placed to mount a proper challenge at the Champions Cup, to go into the knockout stages, really believing that they might penetrate that glass ceiling they have been able to penetrate since 2008. I agree with you. I wouldn't say they would win it, but I think they've got a better chance and be and can, are viable contenders now as a result mm. of the way they're playing. Mm. And as a result as you say, of the talent that is coming through and the depth they have now. I can't remember. It's been some time since they've what, been... What do you make of Ahern? And he's obviously playing six because Omani's injured. But is he at a stage now where you find a place in the team for him? In and yet they've loads of depth in second row and back row. But do, do, you, do you make him first choice somehow? You almost do, don't you? He's such a good option at six because he's so good in the lineouts, And he had such a good game in, in, around the pitch. He's so athletic. And I think this new brand that Munster playing suits a skillful ball playing big tall man yeah, like yeah. himself as well. Yeah. So it brings out more in him. And it's almost by moving to six has liberated him and he's playing his best rugby now. And of course, the other thing we forget in all of this and we should never take it for granted is that when a young player, a youngish player gets a run of games, you're just going to see better performances as a result. The, imagine the confidence levels in his head now this week in training, thinking he's got a great chance of starting again next week at Bayonne. He's now really feeling part of the team, probably more than ever, in truth, in all his time there, for all his talent oh, there. Yeah. And that's going to bring out more in him as well because he'll just grow and grow and grow. Not literally, obviously, but as a player he'll grow. He's another one from... Uh He's a GA background yeah, yes. from Waterford. Yes. Seems to be a lot of this in Munster now. Yeah. Seems to be getting more. They're very good at this, getting people from tra- traditionally non-rugby sort of areas. Yeah. yeah, and and you look at all the Kildare players coming through in the firm as well, but Leinster and around the place like, uh, you know, Ty Byrne and uh, Osborne, the, Osborne and the Keen Keller and Sam, or sorry, Keen Prendergast and Sam Prendergast and others. 
And of course, but playing a lot of Gaelic football in your youth does. And Keen Prendergast, I interviewed him last week, and Gaelic was very much his first love until about the age of 16, is great ball handling skills, mm. eye, to, eye to hand skills. And, you know, th- he attributes his line out, Prendergast did, to his line out work, to his Gaelic upbringing, you know, feeling high balls. He mm. did. And I've, it, for me, it always. Remember Gordon Darcy writing a piece that rugby players would be better off if they just specialised in rugby from early on. I thought, no, Darcy, I, I mm. fundamentally disagree. Mm. I think the more the greater variety of sports, and this goes across the board. I'd say Gaelic players have played a bit of rugby or soccer players have played other sports or whatever. It does go, but certainly rugby, the more sports you play, and particularly Gaelic football. Do you remember that famous game? It was in 2007 in Crow Park when they hammered England. Mm-hmm. I think eleven of the starting fifteen had played Gaelic football or hurling in their in their in their youth. So yeah. it was so after they would do that. Shane Horgan soaring <clears throat> to catch high exactly. kicks. Yeah. yeah, it was the uh, it was the perfect try to seal <laughs> a record win over England yeah. in Crow Park. Yeah. Um, it was a, you know had ga- elements of Gaelic in it, and yeah, and you and the cross kick and feeling winners feeling mm. the ball, and it's amazing how good back three players are under high balls now compared mm. to it used to be. It used to be fifty fifty where they yeah. catch a bomb. Now you. 90, pretty much expect them to catch it almost 100% of the time yeah. and I think you're right there's a lot of talented young forwards particularly if you look yeah. at the under 20s the last few years second rows and back rows I remember a try that the under 20 scored in Wales last year when about 4 or 5 of the back 5 in the pack were all heavily involved in it offloading scooping balls up the, up the ground the levels of skill for big men are quite extraordinary yeah. and we're producing skillful forwards particularly now on a level like never before yeah the bigger thing for me than the GA background because not all of them have the GA background is the kind of geographical spread Hodnett's from Ross Carberry isn't yeah. it Coombs obviously from Skibbereen yeah. uh, Dogbo from Cove um, they had well they had um, Healy from Tip there's, there's there's it's it's not so much the sports you played or didn't play it's the variety of backgrounds that's like an. This is a point Trimble has made to us before, Andrew Trimble on the show. That maybe sometimes what Leinster lack is that variety of people from different backgrounds. Did I not just so, eviscerate an email making that exact point last week, and now you're completely <laughs> undermining me? Somebody basically saying, "Oh, we lost in the World Cup because the lads go to private school," which I think is nonsense. Well, they would have a better chance well, if they, they if had they'd, people from more backgrounds. If they'd so, won the so, World Cup, but, but, they, but, it, they, but it didn't hold them back in the Grand Slam. Exactly. They're, they're we're, looking, we're talking about the next level here, <laughs> World Cups. Uh, the no, other thing about that, and you make a good point, is the greater variety coming through in Munster now is the fact that the club game used to be their lifeblood. And Limerick particularly used to be, and Limerick forwards used to be the, their lifeblood back in the noughties when they were when they were brilliant. And when in many ways they instigate the revolution in Irish rugby or the... Um, the revival in Irish rugby and that conveyor belt is not coming through the same level so they need to find other sources mm. of players mm. yeah I mean more players from any background is good yeah. you know, yeah. you know in, in, in any sport you're going to do better if you have <laughs> if you have a deeper and obviously they can't get any more players through the tr- through the private schools they're yeah. already maxing out on that so yeah. in that sense of course you've got to look for different areas I think areas the suggestion or the inference in that email was that because they all went to private schools they're, they're, they're mentally weak yeah, which you said well they won grand slams and beat New Zealand away and all that so that was a nonsense point but the point I'm making is that to have the the schools guys plus all the others w- would make would make you a very strong country. Yeah, indeed. that's no harm. And there's and there's no doubt that Ireland haven't tapped into that Irish rugby the way they could have done. When how many more Sean O'Briens and Tyke Ferdinands are there and Shane Horgan's mm. in Leinster? There must be more. Ulster yeah. lost to Edinburgh with a drab performance. Some interesting quotes though. You mentioned him earlier on, Dan McFarland. 
The Ulster coach says, we need to improve the level of our training. That's the bottom line. All of us need to pick up and drive. All of us need to pick up and drive forward. We trained really well on Thursday, but we didn't train very well on Tuesday. Training has been a little up and down. We need to be constantly more accurate in training now. Uh, obviously, coaches say all the time and managers say all the time, we need to up things in training. But this is very specific, literally time stamping a session that went badly during the week and saying we all need to up. But I thought these were quite interesting quotes. They're they're very interesting, very strange, very unusual. I'm, as a journalist, I'm reluctant to in any way criticise a coach who says something interesting yeah. after a match or a player. It's, it was quite revealing and, and very interesting. Mm-hmm. And coaches and, and players don't often say revealing and interesting things. So that was in that level, I kind of applaud him. I do think with Dan that, and I make like the point I was saying earlier, that's that when a coach in any sport comes in straight after a defeat especially to speak to the media it's you're getting you're getting a different verdict than you might get with yeah. considered hindsight and view he's the not video. particularly prone to wild statements though uh, he doesn't take defeat very well he's liable to to go off on one more so than most um, he's he's quirky Dan he's different he's an acquired taste I like him mm. <laughs> but um, and, but he's definitely different And I, what's his message there I is he criticising himself I think he's criticising himself and his coaching staff what I get from that that they're not dem- oh, more, uh, maybe, more so than the players yeah I think so maybe the players though as well that they're not needing to up their game at training as well it's interesting it's, it's putting it up to them it's not the first time he's been critical in public of his players and of course they're now coming into some key matches that's a rare home defeat for them so that hurts mm. as well because they're not used to losing at home they expect to win at home the crowd I think expect them to win I think there's a sense of frustration that Ulster haven't achieved more in latter years and th- th- their frustration in the Kingspan Stadium amongst the Ulster faithful has probably been heightened by the fact that Munster won last season the URC. So now it's Ulster who are the long, who are going the longest without winning a trophy. Even Connacht have won a trophy since Ulster last won one. Everybody else in Irish rugby has won one except Ulster. So they're relatively starved now compared to everybody else. That's probably adding to the frustration. And they've got Bath away next weekend yeah. and then to lose at home. So these are now looming as Bath huge proven Bath in England, yeah. They're second to the yeah. table. Like Johan van Graan is turn them around they beat Saracens at the weekend the wreck will be hostile um, it's a very unusual pitch a hard place to win so tight um, that's a, that's looming now as a really big game and then of course to lose if they were to lose both the next two now on top of this one it's an ill-timed defeat let's put it that way but whatever about Connacht losing home to Leinster and that's very hurtful and painful losing to Leinster is one thing a lot of teams lose to Leinster. Mm. Most teams lose to Leinster, home or away, yep. no matter what team they put in the pitch. But to lose at home to Edinburgh just going into Europe, it's like what Munster used to do in the day, and Munster would invariably rebound by producing inspired Champions Cup performances. I think Dan McFarlane is putting it up to the players now, start re- getting really serious in training this coming week and deliver a big performance and bat. So the stakes have increased for them. Jerry, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, thank you. And then I went in to get the ass the fella for a bit of tubing anyway. I went in to get a little bit of tubing. And I, I looks around and there's Jerry Duff. Duffer's dad. I went in to get a little bit of tubing. So it was a very interesting day. Everyone should, everyone should go to the motor factories on a Friday afternoon when it's sunny. <laughs> Shout out to one of our favourite guests of all time on the podcast, one of our favourite guests of the year, Ronnie O'Sullivan, who <laughs> he's still going strong. He beat Ding Jun Wee last night for his eighth UK Championship title. He won his first one at 17 years of age, making him the youngest winner ever. 
He's now 48 years of age, making him the oldest winner mm. ever. And he was in typical Ronnie form after the match on the BBC. You're not motivated by numbers, because for every number, there's another number, as you've always said. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's 30. You'd always see someone else yeah, with a trophy. I'm just hanging just to like, so people don't get as good as a career there. Fucking beat Sylvia, Judd there, this one there. Just, that's the UK you ain't got. That's the Masters you ain't got. I'm just here to just spoil their party. Exactly. You know? yeah. Ruin their CV. You know, I don't care about women anymore. It's like, can I just make you look better you're creepy. oh I could have had another four or five if it weren't for him ah he's good value Murph. he is good value I mean there was some very Ronnie-ish quotes afterwards I don't know go if on. you've seen these I'm not sitting here with a massive grin and super excited I just go through the motions a lot of the time it's great to win and I give my best when I'm out there and I want to win but it's not the same excitement as years ago when I was winning my first world and UK and Masters titles and you're buzzing don't get me wrong it's still a nice feeling and a job well done but I get more of a buzz from going for a run in the morning or having breakfast with me mate <laughs> breakfast I mean, how exciting is that anyway, I don't actually feel like ever playing once you get down there you think you're glad you've done it but even in this match today I was thinking I didn't feel like it I'd rather sit on my bed and watch a bit of Netflix or Amazon Prime who are currently you know hosting his documentary uh, I feel like that a lot of the time alright Ronnie <laughs> that's fine I mean the first one of those interviews that I read or saw you know I kind of got get a laugh the same buzz out of it anymore yeah I, I'm not getting the same buzz out of Ronnie O'Sullivan well we literally did a, about a 50 minute conversation along those lines mm. so I, yeah. I, I got it out nice and early that he's day all well. yeah. He's, yeah yeah got it really early almost too early some would say <laughs> so. uh, listen I'm just on Ronnie's side I know what you mean he's been saying a variation of this for about two and a half decades yeah. if not longer but I'm, all, I'm just back on board. Listen, I'm, I'm fully on board. The running I haven't watched the documentary, but I did watch The Overlap. Oh, no, not The Overlap. Stick to Football or whatever the hell it is that Gary Neville is calling the thing yeah. that he does now with Ronnie O'Sullivan. Uh, and I mean, Ronnie came across like an absolute legend in that. So I'm, I'm still very much on Team Ronnie. That documentary. Just that particular strand of post-match. The analysis. Edge of Everything, it's called. That's on Amazon Prime. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I do remember before we went upstairs the day he was in here mm. he was talking to us about that or might have even been afterwards I mean he stuck around here yeah. Yeah, oh no, yeah. yeah I think it might have been before having a few sambos and he was talking about how he was almost scared watching himself in the yeah. documentary because he'd see himself in the, in the it's a real access all areas documentary mm. apparently and he'd be watching himself in the dressing room being like almost looking comatose and then suddenly he snaps out of it and he's in and he's playing and he's off and he's into into that sort of zone and he's just like oh, that's that's mad to see yourself <laughs> yeah. in that situation you know so um, I'm really because he was so interested in watching himself back yeah it's, uh, I'll get to it Murph there's a lot on but I'm definitely going to get to it it's on a list John but I mean you've got uh, three Premier League games to host this week and then a show in the Liberty Hall on Friday so I mean you're just you're 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 under pressure Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thank Thanks, Murph. Owen, thank you, Simon. Sinead and Maliki are in tomorrow for the book club. We've got Sam Allardyce on Wednesday. Premier League coverage through the week. European Cup rugby as well. There's a lot going on if you sign up now on secondcaptains.com. You'll also get all episodes without any ads and the Second Captains podcast. Yeah. Yeah, Owen. Yeah, go on. Give me the line. Don't it's you worry about me. It's a network made up of creators. Yeah. What's it called, though? Like hold, on a hold on a second it's the ACAST Ken you've been quiet enough in this podcast uh, you tell us what it's called the ACAST creators that's it no <laughs> creator singular that's right Ken that's literally how fast he checks out the once ACAST he, once he said thank you all uh, no, I think he checked podcast. out before this podcast Murph Ken <laughs> tends to check out after the football pod on a Monday but listen go and listen to that one now as well that one's <laughs> available to everyone It's the second time it's gone off.
never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. <laughs>